HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. from Hudson, New York. Today, it's a very beautiful day. We have, like, the perfect spring weather. We have had winter and fall and the middle of summer, but now, finally, we have just very seasonal weather. And I'm here on the phone with Pilar Reber from Richmond, California. Hello, Pilar. Hey, Severin. How is it going with your season? It's, uh, we finally got a little June gloom, so I'm, I'm happy because it, it's been a hot spring. Hot spring. So let's talk about your operation and what you're doing there okay. and what's going well, I've on. Got a, I've got a seven acres, and we are in urban North Richmond, California, and it's um, about ten minutes north of Berkeley, California. And... Uh, we do a seedling operation where we grow seedlings, certified organic, and we sell them to wholesale garden centers and grocery stores, and we do a couple of farmer's markets. And then uh, our newest venture has been aquaculture. We've been doing um, uh, about a 5,000-square-foot aquaponic uh, system, and, uh, yeah, we stay busy. So let's talk about your aquaculture because it's not – it's not what m- most people might think of, like, three tanks and, you know, some fish. Uh, it's quite elaborate, and you have put a lot of interesting uh, interesting technology to work. Would you mind explaining how that happens? Yeah, so aquaponics is uh, we grow fish, and the fish produce effluent um, ammonia, and they exhale it, and they also poop ammonia, and we convert that ammonia into bacteria using natural... Uh, natural occurring bacteria. It's the same bacteria that's in a worm gut, 
um, and we use that bacteria to convert that into nitrogen. And then we pump this water constantly throughout the um, fish pond and also into the hydroponic lettuce wrap system. So, so what drove you to want to get involved in aquaponics in the first place? Oh, um, well, you know, we wanted to do hydroponic, and then we were looking at aeroponic. And then um, my friend Brewster, who runs the Internet Archive, he, in San Francisco, he said something about aquaponics. And I started looking into it and just fell in love with the idea. And then we went and studied it at the University of Virgin Islands in, uh, in the Virgin Islands. And, um, and we learned how to, to raise the fish and breed the fish and uh, also to uh, take care of the lettuce plants that are coming off the fish, coming off the fish water. Hello, hello. Hey, yeah. Oh, good. So, um, okay. I I feel weird, but this is funny technology. But anyway, and so, are have people come and spoken to you about what you've been doing? Are, are people excited? I mean, I know that every time I come to a city, everyone is just like up and down about vertical farming and hydroponic and hydroponic uh-huh. and like let's make our um. Let's make our skyscrapers edible, utopia, right. ecology. And well, as I, think I, would, girl, I feel like you might have a, and as a girl, a wife, I guess, of a technologist, I feel like you might have well, a, a nice perspective on the soil uh, and, you know, when you have lots of gizmos and gadgets running plants and life in a cycle, what that kind of, what, what impact has that got on on what's grown, and what does it mean for the farmer? So the, so the cool thing about aquaponics is you're actually building an ecosystem. You're not just trying to run water through pipes. You're actually building up an ecosystem, and that once that's mature, the aquaponics just is it's easy. But uh, when we first did it, we were it was fail, 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 and we kept having to replant. And, uh, you know, it, we would do things like a pump would get, the filter would get turned off on the pump, and we'd, uh, or the end cap would get left off of the cap of the pump, and we'd come in and find just nothing but eviscerated fish because of our pump. We didn't replace the cap. So you know, when you're starting to put pumps and farming and stuff like that, you're asking for, you know, some sort of failure, I think. Uh, but with aquaculture, you build up an ecosystem, and then uh, um, it, it becomes balanced. You know, 20 years of commercial growing for um, greenhouse operations and commercial farming. Um, the aquaponics system has taught me more about Mother Nature and allowing Mother Nature to mature and the system to mature than, than anything I've ever learned before. Um, and I do feel like it's the future of urban ag. You know, I was a little skeptical about everyone talking about vertical farming and aquaponics. And, but, you know, for, for, you could do a higher density in aquaculture. And you're also using 90% less water. So, you know, that's a win-win right there. Um, and you can do it anywhere. You can build the system to whatever your base is, whether it's vertical, whether it's a gravel bed or a greenhouse or, or a field. You can, um, you can build your own system to fit your niche area. And so let's talk about your niche area of the world. Now, anybody who's watched my documentary film may be remembering the scene where we come past the refineries and the warehouses and 
the recycling depots and the miles and miles of nothing, uh, or empty space, yeah. I should say, potentially empty nothing. Space. Yeah. Right. But let's talk about your part of the world there and, and what what's happening, what could happen, what it would take to make that which could happen happen, who's coming to do the work. So we're in the Bay Area, but we have a ton of open space. We have over 500 acres of open space just in my area of Richmond. Um, and it was, I guess, in the 70s, they zoned it heavy industrial and um, wanted to make industrial parks. And, you know, the industrial parks just never showed up. And uh, so that land has pretty much just been vacant uh, since then, and it's been in agriculture. The history is agriculture there. It was um, lettuce and cabbage fields in the 1900s, and then in the 1930s, the, um, the greenhouses were built for cut roses, and it was one of the biggest cut roses parts of the world. And, um, and then uh, they went out of business around 89 when NAFTA went through, and it was part NAFTA, the free trade, free trade agreement, but it was also part inefficient. They were heating these greenhouses with big tankers of oil and uh, bunker fuel, and they just couldn't compete when uh, NAFTA opened up trade. Um, but it's an amazing climate. You know, we're sunny and breezy. We're really coastal, um, but we're inland enough to not be too foggy. And, um, it's a pretty... Ideal, ideal growing situation. I mean, people like to think Salinas is a salad bowl, but you know, Richmond is is a much better climate climate than even Salinas. And so, let's talk about the operation that you're running. I feel like for a lot of people who are trying to work this dynamic of living in a city and also be involved in farming, but have you know enough cash flow to afford to live in a city. Commercial uh-huh. farming can be a challenge, but you're by being a nursery person, nursery woman, nursery woman. Yeah, your, um, your business seems to be like uh, really great strategically for in terms of food system repair, but also as a livelihood. Maybe you could talk about how the business started and how it grew, and what counsel you might give to other people living in other cities where um, growing food starts might be a good idea. Oh, yeah. So I started Sunnyside in 2004, and um, I had always worked in greenhouse operations um, right out of high school, and I always uh, wanted to be a farmer. And um, it just seemed like I needed to combine what I know, which is greenhouses and container growing, and growing food. And it was, you know, kind of an aha moment when I was like, hey, I can do what I know how to do, but I can still grow food. Um, it's also kind of a path of least resistance as far as being certified organic. Uh, you know, I, I mix my own soil and uh, and we grow in containers, so I can be certified organic. You know, it, it only took me a month to be certified. Um, so that was a, a really low barrier to becoming a, um, a certified organic grower. Um, and then the, the availability of greenhouses in this particular area, there was a lot of abandoned greenhouse structures from, uh, you know, a, old as World War II era, um, and so there was a lot of greenhouse space available. You know, the rent was really low because these places had basically been abandoned since NAFTA, uh, so there was really low entry, and it was awesome that, you know, I could deliver my products so close to where they were actually being sold to. Um, 
And so that was ideal. You know, I, I think that uh, chefs in San Francisco used to say, hey, we want organic salads at our restaurants. Well, you know, now you go everywhere and there's organic lettuce. And now they're saying, you know, we don't care about organic as much. We care about local and biodynamic. And uh, so I think that's a lot of opportunity right there for urban farmers and growers. Yeah, we've been um, able to be expanded. Can you talk about how quickly you were able to grow your business and how people can expect oh. to be able to scale up? Yeah, so when I um, I started it nine years ago, and um, we um, scaled up pretty quickly, and then um, we doubled our size within, um, oh, gosh, within three years we doubled our size. And, um, you know, you've got to grow slow. I think, we, you know, we had this huge growth, and then that we – we anticipated even more growth, and I overgrew. I grew too fast, and that really hurt my business. I took a big hit realizing, you know, overproduction is going to hurt you a lot more than underproduction. And, uh, you know, I learned that lesson probably year three, and then I actually scaled back down, and that was a great thing because then I was able to, um, you know, you didn't, you didn't overproduce. And... And then uh, two years ago, we took over seven acres, and so we took on some growth and a lot of, a lot of infrastructure costs to doing that, uh, so trying to rehab an, an old structure that has, had been abandoned since 89. Um, and so we're still, you know, we went into some debt doing that. Um, but, you know, we're paying it down, and I'm your typical debt and maintenance American. You know, that's what I do for a living is I pay my debt. I think a lot of us are in that boat. <laughs> well, let's talk about but, the vision. I mean, seven acres, sometimes, you know, we have this feeling like, oh, you know, three acres, seven acres, well, you're not a real farmer until you have 100 acres or whatever. Seven acres of glass greenhouse. Let's just talk about what kind of output you could get out of something like that kind oh. of facility. Well, it kind of depends. If, we do, if we're going to do a 10,000-square-foot aquaponics system, we're going to do, uh, it would harvest, that uh, 10,000 square foot system would harvest about three to 4,000 heads a week. So that means we plant 3,000, we harvest 3,000. Um, I know there's real money on the table when you look at um, growing, you know, organic lettuce in that, in that um, 3,000 heads a week. It's, it's real money there. And is that what you're moving to do, is aquaponics and the whole system? You know, I do think we're going to start scaling down on our seedlings and scaling up on the aquaponics. We're also going to start farming the field. You know, we can't really get to our fields right now because uh, 40 years ago they covered our fields in, I call it, Hellamega gravel. It's a cubic acre foot of gravel over two and a half acres. And um, it's deep enough that we can't really get at it with our tractor. It's more of an excavation. Um, so we're scaling up on the aquaponics until we can really remove gravel and actually tractor farm um, some of the property. Um, so, yeah, so, I think, you know, I think about, what we, we talked what, about the vacancy that's all around you, and we talked about, you know, what caused that vacancy, but we didn't talk about the uh -huh. potential yet of that uh, open space right next to BART for, right. for urban ag entrepreneurs. Well, there's so we much like ag history. Vision. Yeah, so it, it, you see a lot of the past when you come out to this area because you see the old greenhouses, you see the bulldozed, bulldozed gravel 
of where they've torn down greenhouses. And it's easy to see the past, but, you know, it's what you, what you have to see is the future, and the future is gravel off the field. It's uh, green, you know, cover crops. And, and I think it's, you know, we want to do soldier flies. We want to do um, more composting. And, and uh, we work really closely with the food kitchen, and we grow a lot of food for them at our, on, on our garden. And um, they, they get a lot of food donated from, like, Safeway that they end up having to just compost and uh, because they get shipped to them, you know, moldy, and they throw it away, and then they have this huge trash bill, and we're trying to figure out how to take that stream, their trash stream, their kitchen waste, and put it into composting and soldier flies, and, um, and I think with what we've really learned from farming is you can't just do one thing. You have to kind of do everything. And, and, well, to, and to close not the loop, to be able to close the loop. Everything at once, only fail at one well, thing at a time. It's, I think we look at it as trying to close the loop and being able to close the loop by taking uh, the, the kitchen waste from the food kitchen. You know, that's a lot of chickens. It's probably pigs. It's soldier flies. It's worms. It's, it's a lot of components just to take away that kitchen waste. Um, Okay, so two I, I things. Think, let's yeah. talk about what are soldier flies, and number two, let's talk about the jobs training program that's there, and what kind of green okay. job can happen in um, in a place like uh, like Richmond. Yeah, so we um, the soldier flies. I think I recommend YouTubing black soldier flies. They can um, they can eat a Big Mac combo meal with a large Coca Cola, including the Coca Cola, in uh, five hours. They eat a lot. They can eat slop, where worms need more cellulose and more, you know, they can't, worms, you can't give them slop. Um, soldier flies convert that into, um, they, they're basically large maggots. And as they start to, as the soldier fly matures into a fly, they climb up these tubes that you put into their colonies, and then they drop down into a nice, clean five-gallon bucket. So they harvest themselves. And then from that, we can feed the soldier flies to our fish, to our chickens. Um, yeah, you name it. We can process them if we want to make uh, pelletized fish food. We can, um, you know, grind them up. Um, it's it's uh, the, only, the only downside is you have to keep them heated. They have to maintain about a 70-degree colony in the winter. So the production slows way down with soldier flies in the winter. Um, but uh, we're getting real excited about growing some of those. Um, and then uh, job well, opportunities. And, and just you know, to make it really explicit, I mean, soldier flies are a really efficient eater of something that nobody else can eat, and then they produce super high-quality protein that is can right. replace soybean ration and expensive exactly. corn feed for poultry and also for women. There was another thing that eats soldier flies. Oh, yeah, fish. Oh, Fish, right, fish. And that was our main thing is we wanted it for fish to grow um, to grow our own fish food because that's the one component that uh, we, we buy our fish food. We just buy commercial fish food and feed our fish. And, uh, and we also we feed the heck out of the fish because we want those fish to produce lots of ammonia and effluent for us. Um, so we go through a lot of fish food. So if that's a, you know, you know, it's a lot of the fish food coming in from Thailand and China. And if we could... 
grow our own fish food, you know, that's a, that's a win-win right there. Plus, it's taken away the kitchen waste from the rescue mission. Uh, oh, I think with no. the organic, organic farmers have to think about closing that loop more than, I think, you know, rural farmers. Well, and urban farmers are faced with a paved surface around them that doesn't absorb excesses the way, uh, you know, <laughs> lower, dis lower, lower density humans. It's easier to right. process waste in an, in an ecologic, in an ecosystem context, whereas in the city, exactly. all of the ecosystem contexts become mechanized, centralized, and, you know, hopefully are controlled by a municipality that's accountable mm -hmm. and not, you know, um, a mega global, global corporation, but that's right. our job to make sure that's true. <laughs> but, okay, so uh -huh. there's a wonderful woman I met out at Cornell. Um, well, I guess it was not at Cornell. It was at... Um, Groundswell, which is in Ithaca near Cornell, at the farm okay. event there, and she was doing a lot of research on black soldier flies, and she posted it on FarmHack. So I want to make sure oh, we'll check it out and to to you know consider collaborating with her or or documenting what you're learning up on FarmHack because obviously documentation okay. is the the slow suit for open source. This is true, uh, and I've been trying to nudge. Um, I've been trying to nudge you guys into documentation for a while, so now oh, I'm going to do it really publicly. I know. <laughs> Farmers and documentation. <laughs> Programmers, too. <laughs> um, so, so what's going on? Um, what's going on in the next, you know, few months? How could people who are interested to tune in to the urban farming scene in Richmond try to orient themselves, other than coming on a tour or something, what's going on? Oh. Well, come out and help us. Any Wednesday between 8.30 and noon, you can come out and help us. We'll give you a tour. Um, you can help us work on our garden for the rescue mission, and uh, we can give you, give you a few plants usually, too, to take home for your own garden. Um, and we donate a lot of we have a We call it the Over the Hill Club, and if you're a school or nonprofit, you can come in uh, monthly and get plants off of our donation table. And, uh, so we support probably 30 school gardens in the Bay Area, at least. Um, yeah, and then we also work with, you know, the, we, we're really close to the city dump. <laughs> and uh, there's a tax that um, if you go to the dump and dump things, you pay a tax uh, that goes into North Richmond summer employment programs. So this, um, this, this tax pays high school kids in Richmond uh, to go around and work at different businesses and get paid. And so starting on the 12th, we are going to get 10 high school kids, and they're going to come out and help us push the farm forward. And we couldn't be more excited because every time, every day they're there, they push us forward three or four months ahead. So we're super excited that our community really embraces green businesses and helps us out in this way. And it, and it gives summer kids a paycheck. Well, this is the time to figure out the green jobs, and I, of course, want to make sure that we mention that Pilar and I are scheming for a, some kind of seed circus celebration over there, multi-platform multi yeah, education celebration. We're, we haven't set our date yet, but we're working on it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, seed circus. I think we're staying October 27th, but it might change. And, and we invite yeah, everybody we to come out and... 
to visit it. We'll see how we'll see how we do. Um, <laughs> any other news or upcoming events you want to make sure to tell people about? Or um, I was thinking maybe help people get connected to OBUGS. Yes, OBUGS is an after-school program in West Oakland that we work really closely with. Um, they do have volunteer days. I'm not. I can't remember when their days are. Also, our neighbors, Urban Tilt in Richmond, they have volunteer days, and our city of Richmond has a, a greenway that runs through almost the entire city, and uh, we are working to turn that into uh, edible forest, and just anybody can come out on the greenway and pick food. Um, we work really closely with that, the greenway progress, and. Uh, we invite everybody to come to our city and, and see how green it is to be in Richmond. So Richmond is rising. Pilar is there. You can find her at uh, Sunnyside Organics. I want to make sure that I add a little tiny announcement for our Greenhorns Midsummer Solstice Mixer at the Grange Hall in Keysville, New York, which is on June 22nd and 23rd with farm tours, spoken word, a presentation by Eric Andrews of the Vermont Sales Project. Also, continuous activities throughout the day, including naturalism and a tour of the Underground Railroad Museum. So if you're not already on our events mailing list, blah, 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 please get on it. And if you haven't already heard about our new Farmer's Almanac, please order one because they're almost a third of them are left. And we'd like to sell them all because we need to have operating cash all the time. So I think I'll leave it there, and I thank you so much, Pilar. Thanks, Severin. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.